Hi, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you are listening to episode 74, and I'm talking with Crystal Sieber. Crystal is a trail runner. She's a personal trainer. She does life with her boyfriend, Jesse. They recently completed their first 100-mile race. And in this episode, we talk about that. We talk about what Crystal has done in her life to get her to where she is now. And she talks to us a little bit about her workouts and her diet, all things that I'm sure if you're following her on Instagram, you're wondering, because I was wondering these things. And, you know, Crystal's one of those people that... I followed on Instagram for a long time, and once I talked to her and had a great conversation with her, I liked her even more. So that's one benefit of this podcast that I'm really loving. And I want to thank Sarah Emerson for connecting me with Crystal. She is a listener of the podcast, and she's emailed me and given me some suggestions of a couple people to have on the show, and she's also in our Facebook group online as well. So I've had a lot of fun getting to know Sarah, and actually, Sarah is going through treatment for breast cancer right now. So I want to send her all the love in the world and you guys should send her all the love in the world too. You can follow her on Instagram at Sarah, S-A-R-A-H Blair, B-L-A-I-R 55. Hi Sarah. Thanks for connecting me with Crystal. She was so awesome to talk to. Before we get started talking with Crystal, I want to talk to you guys about Kind Snacks. You guys know that I'm loving the Kind Bar and they are partnering with me for this podcast. If you're anything like me, you grab them at the grocery store, you spend $2 on a bar or whatever you pay, and you get on with your day, and it's a healthy little snack. Well, you can get 10 bars for $10 to show up at your front door, free shipping, if you go to kindsnacks.com slash another. After hearing the founder of Kind Bar talk on Poppy Harlow's podcast last week, I was sold even more on their mission and what they do. I love that they're made in the United States. They're made with ingredients you can recognize and pronounce, and they use high-quality, nutrient-dense ingredients. Get yourself a sample box, kindsnacks.com slash another. Tickets to the live show are available now. The link will be in the show notes. It's also on my website, lindsayhine.com. Come run the Indie Women's Half Marathon on Saturday, September 30th. Join Michelle Gonzalez, Mary Johnson, Maggie Diles, and myself for a fun live panel. As soon as you register for your tickets, you will get an email from me with a discount code to the half marathon for Indie Women's or the 5K. I will be capping the attendance for this event due to the space that we are using, so make sure if you're considering coming to go ahead and grab your tickets now. You guys find me on social media and let me know what you're thinking about the show or just let me know how your training's going or whatever you're doing in life. I'm Lindsay Hines 626 over there on Instagram. And if there's ever a particular episode that you are loving, I would love it so much if you would just share it with your people because that is such an organic way people can find the show. If you're looking for more content from me, you can find two bonus episodes a month over on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. What Patreon does is gives loyal listeners people that look forward to this show every week, a chance to support the production behind the show. And as an incentive and a benefit to supporting the show um, on a monthly basis, you get two bonus episodes, and that can go directly to your podcast app. It's super simple. So patreon.com slash lindsayhine. At the $3 level, you get one one bonus episode a month, and at the $5 level, you get two bonus episodes a month. I appreciate each and every one of you guys who are supporting the show. It means the world to me. And hopefully as this podcast continues to grow, I can continue to put out 
even more content than I already am. All right, everybody, you guys enjoy my conversation with Crystal. We're talking to Crystal Seaver, everybody. And so Crystal just got back from the Under Armour Mountain Series. Where were you, Bend? Yeah, in Bend at Mount Bachelor. So tell me about that. So this is the first of the Under Armour Mountain Series, and I actually have never been to the West Coast, like the Pacific Northwest West Coast. So it was my first time there, and it was pretty incredible. And the course is on Mount Bachelor, and the way the series has worked is that the company behind these races actually owns the mountain, so there's full use of the mountain which leads to some pretty spectacular running and views. But in that day and a half, I think I tried to soak up everything that could possibly happen in Bend, which is just kind of a very trendy Mm. mountain town with a lot of awesome things happening. I love that you say it's very trendy. Yeah, it is definitely (laughs) trendy. You know, you've got all your breweries, but it's also very active. There was like a cycling race also going on and a men's, like one mile race that's apparently gains a ton of attention oh cool that's so fun Mm -hmm. so you grew up in connecticut right connecticut until high school and then moved to vermont when i was between eighth and ninth grade and now i'm in maine okay so you live in maine with your boyfriend and your stepdaughter and you put step in parentheses what does that mean or because she she's not technically my stepdaughter we were actually just having this conversation this morning because we're not married. Oh. But she was like, but you are. And I was like, yeah, because we've been together forever and I've known you forever. But yeah, so by technicality, no. Got but, it, yes. got it. Now how old is she? Yeah, she's seven. Okay, is that a sweet spot? I feel like seven's a really sweet age for little girls. Yeah, it's it's a really good age. It's also that age where they're getting really smart and want to see how far they can push on it any mm-hmm. given day. Sure. But also like, a great age where they can actually really start doing things and participate in the same sort of things that you're doing. Yeah, we actually babysat three of my nieces and nephews this weekend, like on top of our three kids. So our house was like a complete (laughs) nut house. And we have three little boys. And so this was two girls and a boy and the little girl is six. And man, those little girls, they are uh, uh, almost like conniving in a way that like, I'm going to figure out a way to make this work in my favor that my little boys just haven't figured that kind of thing out yet. And it was pretty funny to see the differences in the male and the female at that age. Yes, absolutely. That's that's definitely kind of the attitude and the spin they take on everything. <laughs> it's like, what? how should I say this to make it so that mom or Aunt Lindsay will let me do it? And they think that it's their idea, not mine. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you meet Jesse? Uh, we actually met in a gym, go figure. Of <laughs> Doing the the same, you know, crazy morning workout routine. And from there, our relationship was basically solidified over, you know, days of working out and long training runs and things of that sort. And that's still kind of how our relationship is solidified today because it takes up a lot of our free time. Now, how long have you guys been together? Um, almost five years. Okay. So tell me what it's like when you're already doing your own thing, like training and running and lifting and you bring him into the mix, and then you guys start, you know, dating and whatever. How do you manage the relationship with that? Because sometimes I feel like with running, I can get kind of irritable with my husband sometimes. I'm like, if we're on like a 20-mile run, you know, and I'm feeling like crap. Yeah, and that's definitely the case now. Not so much 
when we first met and when we first met I was the one that was running and he wasn't really running at all at that point so it was that was pretty much new to him and he was much more in the strength training bodybuilding sort of world he ran you know to do like an obstacle course race but not long distance running and when we switched to like kind of more that ultra world it worked out really well because I was the stronger runner at the time and we kind of I I was okay with you know scaling back on days to kind of accommodate his pace or what his goals were um that doesn't always happen so much anymore Mm -hmm. and I find that we both can get really frustrated with each other because you feel good at different points in time Mm -hmm. um and while we get really frustrated like in certain training runs and there are times we definitely train apart too if we race together we don't really run into any of those issues we just put them all aside and are much more supportive than we may be on a normal training day now now are you guys like the same pace now around the same pace uh just in you know long distances it just depends who's feeling better at the time yeah okay so can you kind of tell everybody your story just what you do i mean you're an ultra runner you're a weightlifter tell me kind of what brought you to where you are today sure um i've always been pretty passionate about moving not necessarily running uh, when I graduated from college, it was probably the first time I really even, like, considered running. Like, I ran once in a while in college along the Charles in Boston and just sort of casually but never really focused on it. Um, when I started running, when I graduated, I just ran with, like, my boot camp classes or friends that ran in the city, and I basically hated it the entire time. And the only reason I kept going is because I don't really back down to a challenge. And I saw this as a challenge because I didn't feel like when you start running, you don't really feel like you're great at it. Your legs don't feel great. You can't breathe and you just kind of can't figure it out. Um, And it wasn't until I went on a trail run that I really fell in love with running. And from there, I just kind of kept going. But had it not been like that factor of like, this is a challenge and you should be able to do this and wrapping my head around it mentally, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. So from the trail world, I probably went on my first trail run. It was like six miles. And I just remember it like taking the life out of me. Like it was probably the hardest thing I had ever done. And it seems so silly now because it was six miles, but it did. Like I went home and I probably didn't do anything for the rest of the day. Um, (laughs) How long was that? Oh, like, uh, probably six years ago. Okay. Maybe almost seven years ago now. Um, and, and then I somehow got convinced that I should run this race in Vermont called the Peak 30, and that's an ultra-distance race, and it's in the Green Mountains, kind of near the greater Killington area. Um, and it's Memorial Day weekend, or right around Memorial Day weekend, and the year that I decided I was going to do this, it was 98 degrees and really humid, like this crazy Vermont heat wave. And I, I can't say I knew what I was doing at all or was even really prepared, but somehow I made it the 38 miles through the mountains. And I think at that point, it's just, it's, it's so bad, it's good. <laughs> um, 
And I say that because there was nothing enjoyable about that race. I mean, I ran out of water. It was beyond hot. There was this crazy thunderstorm that you could see the distance that was coming in. And it was taking so much longer than anyone had even anticipated because of the weather and how hot it was. Like, to the point where once kind of nighttime came, you thought it would cool down. But it actually just got hotter in the woods because it was just dead air. And most of us at that point in time were trying to submerge ourselves in the rivers, which is pretty funny once you've been moving for 30 miles to like have to squat down and try to get into this river and then get back up and keep going. But it was so cold. It was so hot and you needed to cool your body down. There was nothing else you could do. Mm. So, you know, that really like hard experience and really miserable experience just kind of left you wanting to do more. And I think what you usually hear from most ultra runners now is like, it was so bad, it was good, or, like, it was so bad, I will never do this ever again <laughs> in my lifetime. Like, it goes either way. And from there, I just kind of kept running these races and kind of transitioned solely to running in the ultra world. It's just the distance I really enjoy, and I love the community, and it, it, there's just something else about it because you're going for so long. For example, this weekend, I actually just ran my first half marathon because I didn't run anything traditionally leading up to the ultra world so the half that I ran in Bend was the first time I actually ran 13 miles as a race (laughs) (laughs) well that's funny Uh, yeah I noticed your Instagram post you said relatively short all things considered and I was like I wonder what that means I wonder how far she went yeah so I just ran I just I keep saying I just ran 13 miles but it's not just 13 miles because it was you know something people had trained for and 13 miles is really no joke when you're on a mountain um but considering my last race was 100 and the race before that was 70 and you know training runs easily double that 13 mile distance I end up saying that it's short lots of times and then I catch myself being like 13 miles is really not a short distance (laughs) well yeah and you're like I don't want to offend anybody who's training for that to be their goal race because obviously at one point you were you know, you were there when you were running that six-mile uh, trail run that was Absolutely. really hard. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So when did you decide after that 38-mile run in the Vermont heat that you wanted to do an ultra and or a 100? And did you do that one by yourself? Not the 100, the 38. The 38 I did all by myself, yeah. Um, I, I had friends that were out there doing the same race. Many of them dropped out during the day. Um but I didn't run with anyone in particular, but I got to run with, you know, just new people that you meet. And uh-huh. the reason I kept going in that race and actually not dropping out, because at one point I just decided I was done. Like, it wasn't that much fun anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just had enough for the day. And this older man um, was coming up the trail to the same aid station. And he was like, no, no, you can't be done. You have, like, 10 miles left. And I was like, no, I can. Like, I'm <laughs> definitely done for today. And... And somehow he convinced me to keep going. And so I was running down. We have to cross a major road, um, Route 100 in Vermont and cross over. And at that point in time, I found out that he had just completed 100 miles like two weeks prior. And he was 65 years old. And wow. I was like, okay, okay, Crystal. Like, you <laughs> know, no excuses at this point. Like, people can do incredible things. And this just proves it. So... Um, I kept going. I didn't decide that I was going to do 100 until maybe even, like, two years ago. Like, it was on the radar, but not 
really on the radar. Like, I didn't really know if I wanted to run 100 miles or not. Um, <laughs> if you asked me five years ago, I would definitely tell you no. Like, I have no desire to do that. Um, but something just switched in. Then, you know, once you complete 50 and you complete 70, you're like, okay, well, maybe 100 is manageable. And, yeah, so I completed 100 in the end of May this year and it feels like forever ago now and kind of like not a big deal at all surprisingly (laughs) and you just kind of like on Monday after any race you go back to normal life and it's just routine again it was like okay I ran 100 miles but now I need to go to work and you need to take out the dogs and you need to pay attention to the kids and you know you need to make dinner and do all the laundry it's just normal again. Now, and Jesse did that one with you? We did, and we stayed together the entire time during that 100 miles. Now, tell me about that experience, like being able to stay <laughs> together from mile one to mile 100, where you're obviously going to have high points and low points at different yeah. times. Yeah, so overall, I would say it went pretty well. The hard part about staying together is that you do feel good at different times, Um And it can work in your favor, and it can kind of work against you. So it's helpful when you're kind of at that low point to have somebody pushing you and pulling you along for that extra support. But you also are going to then be a little bit held back when you could probably go a little bit faster or feel a little bit stronger at that point. So it's it's kind of a a two-way street. Um, There is definitely one point in time, it was somewhere around like, 4.30 in the morning after we've been running all through the night that Jesse was basically sleepwalking and you like couldn't really wake him up he and I think if I wasn't there he probably would have just like laid down on the side of the trail and gone to sleep because (laughs) he was that tired um but it was a really really slow point in the race for us because he was so tired that he was barely moving and so I would, he would be behind me, and I would turn around, and he'd be walking with his eyes closed. And mm. I was like, oh, okay, well, you're going to walk off the side of the trail in a second, so you have to open your eyes. But it would just, you know, like points like that, it's just making your race that much longer. But then, you know, a couple miles later, you may be in the same position where you are not feeling that great. And, you know, it's great that there's someone else there. Um, and did you guys make that decision beforehand, like, we're sticking together through this? Yes. Yeah. So if we are going to race together, we know that we're going to race together. Okay. Uh, with the understanding that, you know, you have to slow to each other's paces and just know that it's kind of a great experience to have together. Um, I don't think we would ever go in and then decide, hey, maybe today we'll stick together because it would just become frustrating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and in the case that, you know, something went horribly wrong or it was really going to be a hindrance to the other person's race we would just split up but you know it's really nice to be with someone when you head out overnight and it's going to be your slowest miles and for this hundred in particular it was really bad weather and very slow going overnight so it was nice to have each other's company and we also were with another friend at that time so it kind of made the night hours go by really quickly yeah tell me about the weather because I was looking at your pictures and I was like (laughs) holy crap yeah so Vermont is funny and you know the first race I ever ran on Memorial Day weekend it was 98 degrees and humid and 
This year, it was about 40 to 50 degrees and raining for the first 24 hours. Mm. Um, so it was really kind of my least favorite weather. I do really well in the heat, and I don't do well in the cold. So my number one concern was making sure that no matter what my body temperature, my core temperature would stay up so that I wouldn't end up in a hypothermic state. And my biggest concern was the overnight hours where I knew it was already going to be much slower. So I I did. I wore a trash bag for the first 24 hours of that race as another layer. 24 (laughs) Um, hours. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and it did actually turn out on Saturday afternoon after moving for 24 hours to be, like, a really nice day. But the the night before the race was actually probably the worst weather, and it was, it was hurricane-like. So a lot of trees came down, and it was pouring, and the wind was out of control. And I was just happy that by morning, the wind had at least stopped, and we were just dealing with the rain. And when you get that much rain the trails turned to absolute mud so basically the entire course was the worst condition I have ever seen it and we just had to deal with mud to your knees at points in time and um you had to cross you cross rivers you (laughs) uh, the beaver dams were flooded because it had rained so much and that was like one of your areas of crossing so normally you could like kind of go across the top of these dams but with the rain you basically had to go straight through the water so is this the hardest thing you've ever done or was that 38 miler the hardest thing right when you started um i would say that 100 miles was really hard but i stayed in a really good place mentally Mm. and that's something i've gained over time so to say that to even compare the two is really hard for me because while it was hard, I just stayed in a really good place and I knew it was hard to go into it. And I think when I ran 38 miles, I had no idea what to expect. But you kind of hit some really low points in your first couple of ultras and you're not so good at pulling yourself out of those low points. And I can say that even feeling as bad as I did at certain points during 100, I never mentally let myself get there and that was really important so probably my beginning races are definitely a harder stand than this 100 miles okay so what are some things you do and like how did you get to the place where you could mentally overcome stuff like that sure I think one of the biggest things is just knowing that you're going to be okay like you start to know what that level of hurt and that level of kind of darkness looks like and you know that it's only temporary once you've experienced it you you just kind of understand it and you have two options at that point like you can use it in your favor you can let it really break you and as you go on you use all of the mantras you know you remind yourself that it's just really a reminder that you're strong enough to do this and that you can do hard things and sometimes you have to speak that out loud to yourself while you're out there Erin and just to keep moving because at some point it doesn't hurt any more than it already hurts like the level of hurt is just so much but I think as long as you really embrace what's going on around you and kind of distract yourself with you know where you are and the fact that you get to like experience this on foot is one helpful thing and then know why you're out there if 
if you're out there for no reason other than to get to the finish line, it's going to be really hard to get mm. to the finish line. And I think we all know why we're out there. And sometimes we have different reasons for each race, but there's something bigger than just running to the finish line. And, you know, it just comes with a lot of like, put yourself in these situations that are not exactly ideal. And I think this year, because we had such a rough, winter in Maine we had a really miserable training season through the winter as well and from a physical standpoint that was just really helpful because conditions were never ideal for training and they definitely weren't ideal on race day but when you go from having beautiful training conditions to a really bad race day that switch is very hard but winter kind of set me up for a really miserable race day (laughs) So I like, and I like, what, well, I like all of that that you just said. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, I'm like sitting here affirmative head nodding, like, yep, yep, that's yep. awesome. <laughs> but I love what you say too, like, at some point it's not going to hurt any worse than it's hurting right then. Mm-hmm. And you can use that to your advantage. And I mean, I, you know, I'm not an ultra runner, but I even apply that in, you know, short distance races because, yes. you know, the, the last 5k of a half marathon, like that is, if you're really racing hard, like that's a really tough spot to be in. But I just tell myself, like, okay, it's going to hurt whether I slow down 20 seconds a mile or I try to speed up 10 seconds a mile. Like, it's going to hurt either way, so I might as well lay it all out there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely applies to any distance. Like, at some point, you just get there, and you have to really kind of just embrace what that is. And I think we become better with practice. I, I don't think that it was something that just came naturally to me because there have been races that I've been in a really bad place mentally and I just couldn't wrap my head around it and in the last year or so I never got to that point so here's a deep question why do you do it for a lot of reasons um first and foremost I'll tell everyone that I run because I love the community the most (laughs) Or I just think that the connections that you make while, you know, moving is probably the most amazing part. Like, I walk away from every race experience with a handful of new friends, and most of them, you know, have become some of my best friends at this point in time. And it doesn't really matter what your background is. You're just connected by putting one foot in front of the other. Um, And then I think, you know, the other side is kind of the more selfish component and, having that need to kind of see what I'm capable of. But I also know that ultra running is a really kind of selfish sport to get into because it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time away from things that are equally as important to me. And luckily I'm in a situation where that's well understood by the people around me, but you know, you miss out on, you know, different activities or family time or different events or you wake up at three in the morning because you're trying to get your long run in before you have family activities planned for the day so I think you know you need to know why you're out there for yourself on race day but also just in training because you have to be looking for something more or that training schedule and that race schedule really doesn't work with real life. So you you used to work in the corporate world. You worked for Hasbro. And tell me, like, what's your job now? Like, what I know you're coaching and things like that. What does your mm-hmm. life look like on a daily basis? Sure. So I did work for Hasbro up until two years ago when I moved to Maine. And when I moved to Maine, I decided that I was just going to take the risk and 
follow sort of my fitness passions on a full-time basis. I was doing some of this already while I was working at Hasbro too, but managing it on a larger scale was just not possible. So I would say right now I am doing all things kind of fitness and wellness and different pieces are falling into place. Even right now, as we speak, um, my number one job on a day-to-day basis is my role as a trainer and that includes my online platform as well as my in-person and local clients um so i have a training program that really follows a hybrid approach so i don't really believe in just running and i don't really believe in just strength training or general fitness i always talk about training for performance and that Performance may just be everyday life or it may be, you know, something more along the lines of triathlon or ultra marathon or marathon, whatever that may be. But we're just looking to be more proficient in what we do. So that is my primary responsibility day to day. And then other things come up because you enter this world of social media influence, which is um, amazing to see kind of develop over the last year mm-hmm. and that that has led to you know different opportunities whether it be you know collaborating with magazines to write some articles on any given topic or whether that be to travel somewhere just to kind of provide some insight as to what's going on for a major company or join in on a campaign of, you know, the latest gear that's coming out or have the opportunity to review new products. Um, That kind of is all over the place. And I think, you know, I didn't strive to kind of enter this world. It just sort of happened by telling a genuine story and kind of my experience with running and sharing some workouts that I enjoyed and things of that sort and now it's taking a little bit of a different role as there's more of a demand and an expectation of what will be delivered Mm -hmm. and that is kind of translating now into sort of a lifestyle component because I talk a lot about having balance and well you know in the world of social media or whether it be Instagram or Facebook or blogging a lot of times you see running or you see just one part of life and um I know that it appears that I may run about 24 hours a day, <laughs> every day. Um, but I'm kind of switching more into a lifestyle component and getting to collaborate with some some friends and some other you know just really talented people and kind of embracing that empowerment movement or support movement I think is the most important part of that. So how often do you work out every day, though, on, on yeah. average? On average, really just an hour a day. Really? In the, pe- in the Yeah, in the peak of, like, ultra season and when my running time gets longer, then much more. But right now, I, I try to stick to that hour a day and then reserve the weekends for my long runs, which could be much longer, which, you know, three or four, right. maybe six hours or all day or whatever it may be. But for the most part, I try to keep things to an hour. It does change, like, when I get into the peak of training. There will be times that I'll have two workouts a day, and then I'll be up to two hours. But during the week, ideally an hour. 
So I want to hear about your strength stuff, though, because I like what you're saying. Like, you don't think it's all or nothing on either approach. Because, like, the, some of the workouts I see you doing and you post about, I know you're not doing CrossFit, but they seem a little CrossFit-esque mm -hmm. and, like, the interval type stuff. Um, how often do you do strength work? I mean, every day? No. Um, I always talk about strength in terms of complementing running. Okay. So you have you've basically two options when you talk about strength. See, we have, like, strength for that aesthetic look, which is more that bodybuilding role, and that would require a lot of time and dedication in a strength training perspective. Um, or we have strength in terms of performance, and I follow much more of a performance-based strength routine, although I do some traditional strength training, too. But the goal for me personally is that I can't dedicate all my time to my workouts. And while there was a point in time where I was able to do two workouts a day every day, I don't have the time for that right now. So I just become very strategic. And sometimes that does that is that high intensity work that you see online. Um, other times it's just a strict workout. But what I know is that I can't fit it all in. So for um example i will do like some hill intervals on the treadmill and just couple those intervals with some functional exercises in order to kind of check off hill work and strike training at the same time um it just becomes really strategic because i don't know many people that can fit in both and still manage day-to-day -day life do you think that all that strength work really helps you with um keeping injuries at bay? I think it's definitely the number one reason why I haven't been injured in a very long time. It's the same sort of protocol I have all of my clients follow as well. Um, it's also allowed me to run a much lower mileage mm -hmm. week than many ultras, ultra runners do run. Um, and that's just based on preference. Like I, I, I like both sides of the, the training components and I really don't want to run a hundred miles a week uh, it's just not what I want to do nor do I really have the time during the week to get in those really long runs so um just kind of complementing running with building those ancillary muscles that we really need to be efficient runners and that often just don't work in our favor because they're much weaker than some of our larger muscle groups has really been key to avoiding injury. So what did you run peak week or like what was your peak mileage and then what was kind of like your average mile for training for this hundred then? Yeah so even for 100 miles my peak weeks topped out at 70 miles mm. but most of those miles would be contained in my back-to-back -back long runs so most of the miles during the week were very short, but on the weekends, it may get up to like two 20-mile runs back-to-back -back or two really heavy training days that I talk about time on feet more than miles on those weekends where I would do like four hours at a time or six hours at a time. So while the mileage is relatively low, the majority of the miles were from one, from two days. Um, now, I interviewed Chrissy Mayo on this podcast, and mm -hmm. 
she talked about how she would do like three week build and then like a cutback week to help her body stay healthy. Do you do any sort of cutback week like that? Um, yes, but not that kind of close um, in time. I will build for even a couple months at a time and then really scale back. The goal is usually that I build gradually and just always sustain a pretty strong base so that I'm able to build quickly um, without causing injury. But I don't scale back like after three weeks. I just keep building. If, and this goes for all my clients, like if I get to the point where I'm feeling really tired and like it's too much, then I will take a week and make it much lower just so that I don't have to push through it because when I get to that point, I just find that my miles and my training just becomes ineffective anyways. So I'm just really cautious if even if my plan looks a certain way that there may be a week that I just decide to completely cut back because I'm just too tired at that point. Okay, this is kind of a random question. When you do your, like, short intervals, so, for instance, like, I think you posted a workout where you did um, a bunch of circuits, and then you would do, like, a 200-meter sprint on the track. Mm -hmm. Do you count those into your total mileage for the week? I do. Okay, okay. Yep, so I know specifically how long I'm going to do that for. Um, Usually when it's posted, you can choose kind of your distance, and lots of times those circuits end up being five or six miles for me. Okay, okay. And that kind of serves as, like, your speed work for the week then, huh? Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, that's so... That's basically... Go ahead. That's definitely my way of fitting in. When the miles are at, like, peak miles, it's my way of still containing those those speed components or that hill work in that max effort kind of scenario versus just hill work by nature of the terrain that I'm on. So I want to hear about the wrecking bag because I think I learned about it through you on your Instagram post. And then I've since seen, hi, whoever's driving by, (laughs) I think, and then I think I saw Sarah Caney post about it and okay, here's my deal. I am like doing this. I don't know if you've ever heard of this minimalist challenge, but do you, have have you heard of the minimalists? These two guys? Yes. Okay. So I'm doing the minimalist challenge and I'm on day, whatever day of the month this is, it's the 24th. So I'm getting close. Um, but man, you got to get rid of a lot of stuff. And so this whole process has given me this mindset of like, okay, I don't want to take anything in now because I've already gotten rid of all this stuff. But I keep thinking I kind of want one of these wrecking bags. So tell me about it. Sure. So Wreckbag is a company that I was able to collaborate with when, when the product first came out. And the product is the same concept as a sandbag, except for the rec bag is filled with a rubber blend, um, which is great because, one, it can get wet and there's no issues. It can't mildew, um, and it doesn't just absorb water like sand would, and no sand falls out of these bags Mm -hmm. when you bring them into an indoor space. Um, It also doesn't have that shifting component, so your weight is kind of evenly distributed a little bit more, just not as controlled as, say, a barbell would be. Okay. Um, it uh, it also is extremely safe. So, like, if you drop a rec bag on your foot, nothing's going to happen. Um, so, if you can use it in a lot of different ways, you can keep it on the floor. Um, you can drag it. You can push it. All these things, but it's just it's one tool that you can use for so 
many different things. Um, I use it for strength training. I use it for even doing some hill work or weighted running mm-hmm. because it's not going to bounce on your shoulders. It's going to just kind of sit there and like as a barbell would, it's kind of that heavy kind of feeling and it's really uncomfortable when you first start training. But it's also something that you can use in terms of like you can slam it on the floor and you can you can use it in a different function than you may use some other equipment out there. Um, so it's, it's a lot of fun, but it's also something that you just have to kind of get used to. Um, and how it moves and, and, and that like required like, okay, I don't have full control over where this is going because it's still a bag versus set weight. Um, but I use it in my own training. I used it, you know, for traditional work, like just squats, front squats, back squats, things like that. But I also like to do things where you can drag it or you can push it or you can jump over it or slam it. Those are kind of the fun components to it. How much does it weigh? So they weigh all different weights, anywhere from 25 pounds, which is what I use the most, all the way up to 70 pounds. Oh, wow. And so when you're doing, like, when you're on the treadmill and you're using it, do you just, like, have it on your back? Yeah, so I'll bring it on the treadmill and do hill work with it. And so that I climb and I'll keep it across my shoulders, which is kind of the most common way to hold it. But you could hold it many different ways. And they'll either use a 25 or a 50 pound bag, just depending on what it is that I'm doing. So a lot of hill repeat work with the rec bag. Hey guys, before I continue my conversation with Crystal, I want to talk to you about another partner of the show, Casper Mattress. Who has a Casper mattress out there? Everybody that has one is raving about it. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. I've checked out their prices, you guys. They are so good. It combines supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right sink and just the right bounce. With over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars, it's quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. There are free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada, Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Designed, developed, and assembled in the USA. Okay, you guys, you can get $50 toward any mattress purchase if you visit casper.com slash haveanother. That's casper.com slash haveanother. If you're in the market for a mattress, check out Casper. If you know anybody else that's in the market for a mattress, have them check out casper.com slash have another. Okay, so I want to talk about your diet. I know you say you have an 80-20 approach there, which yeah. is like what we all should do really. Like we have to allow ourselves some treats. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about your diet a little bit. Sure. Um, I, t- I don't really get caught up in, in my diet. I, I know what I'm eating every day. Um, and I know kind of what works for me at this point. So I talk most of the time about like kind of just eating what makes you feel good. I know like what I can train off of. And I think the hardest part for me when I started running a lot of miles was not necessarily that I didn't eat well. It was that I didn't eat enough. Mm. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't even taking in enough calories to really sustain what I was doing. And 
not necessarily just the number of calories, but, you know, the quality of those calories. On any given day, I eat about every two to three hours, and that was probably the hardest switch for me, um, because I'm not hungry every two to three hours, but I'm go- but I do eat regardless if I'm hungry every two to three hours, and that's really translated well into my long runs, too, because you have to eat to make it through the ultra world. Um, but while I eat probably a pretty close to um, vegetarian diet, I don't really limit anything out of my diet either. Um, so if I want to go out to eat, like it, I'll have anything that's on the menu. But I also know like if I completely go way offline of what I normally eat, which is pretty clean and healthy, that I feel pretty bad. So I kind of stay away from those types of things. But on any given week, I, I would say eat everything. Um, and I always say this because I would never give up chocolate chip cookies ever. <laughs> so, like, it's not really unusual in, like, the peak of my running training or my high mileage weeks that I would have a cookie almost every night. And, well, I'm not going to tell everybody to do this. Like, there has to be some sort of balance and it, you know, keep your sanity and don't really get caught up so much in the numbers game, but be very conscious of what you're eating and aware of what you're eating and how you're feeling because of that. Now, do you cook or does Jesse cook or both? Um, we both cook. I hate cooking. Okay. So, um, if Jesse is around, he does all of the cooking, which is wonderful. It's just <laughs> not my thing. And um, we're really good at meal prep. So, all of our meals are always planned out for the week, so we know exactly what we're having, and we try to kind of piggyback ingredients so that, you know, it becomes relatively easy to prep these meals, and that took a lot of practice, but it's also saved a lot of time on, you know, the weeknights and the busy weeks. So for this week, you know, we have, like tonight, we'll be having zucchini noodles with pesto and chicken. That will be the meal for tonight, and we'll probably have that tomorrow night as well. And then salads are huge in the summer and just adding all kinds of ingredients. And usually you'll find a lot of vegetables in, in all that we're eating at this point in time. So what about breakfast? Are you a coffee person? I definitely drink coffee. I'd say that coffee is way more social for me than actually needing <laughs> coffee. I find when I'm home that I'll make my coffee and then never drink it because I did who knows what instead of drinking my coffee. Right. But if I go to coffee, like I'll drink my entire thing because I'm sitting down and actually focusing on what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, so yes, I drink coffee the week, uh, like leading up to a race that I really try not to drink any coffee at all. So that when I actually have caffeine in the race, you kind of feel the full effect of it. Ooh, that's smart. Although I would totally go into a coffee hangover during the week that I was, taking, <laughs> you know, take eliminating it. Tell me about your retreat, your disconnect retreat that you're you're starting. Sure. So in the fall this year, in October, I am hosting a retreat with a good friend of mine, Kate, who is. Um, who I met through the fitness world as well and she has a very strong yoga background but her yoga practice is focused on athletes um, versus some of the other components that are out there and so most of her flows are tailored towards runners and kind of 
helping create that flexibility and mobility that's really needed for performance. Uh, when we started talking about this, we knew that we wanted to create a retreat that was more social than necessarily like let's teach you about running form or the exercises that you may need to do or things of that sort. We really wanted to be interactive and kind of at a social pace. So the retreat will include movement through yoga and running and hiking one of the local mountains, but it's also an op- a way to kind of get rid of day-to-day routine and just kind of connect with all the things that really inspire and drive you. So one of the things we're promoting is putting your cell phones away um, for the entire time. And yes, check in with family and such if needed, but like don't feel the need to be going live and showing what's going on for the day. Just really immerse yourself in the experience. And we're going to be at the yurts in Durham. So you're, kind of glamping for the weekend so it's not exactly like an uncomfortable camping situation but it's really out there in kind of a secluded environment and you have a lot of time to just get to know the people that are also there and really think about your goals and your needs and kind of what you want um on the other side of that we're bringing in a lot of local um vendors and they're going to be able to join us for you know dinners and campfire chats and kind of talk about their experiences too and just kind of how they got to where they are and why it may not be necessarily running related some of the local um, businesses are amazing in terms of what they've created from like a sustainable agriculture perspective or creating some amazing craft brews and just kind of having that fun experience with with people that really love the same things that you love and now you're you're just there to soak it all up what's the duration of the retreat it's a long weekend so it is a thursday to sunday and on that sunday there's actually a local trail race and it just happened to be the same weekend so we have some of our guests who will be running and participating in the local trail race here so is it live are you sold out is it what's the deal we still have space left but because of the location we have limited space so the yurts are um, able to house basically 14 people so we are already filling up pretty quickly which is really exciting um, so yes, we have availability. Will there be availability for that much longer? I don't know. <laughs> that's so exciting. So it's October what? October 12th through 15th. Oh, that's great. Okay. So we have to move on to some fun questions. Um, sure. and I kind of emailed you what, what the rundown was, but before I get to that, what's your favorite sports bra and shorts to run in? Sure. Um, my favorite shorts, well, I don't know that I have a favorite brand, but I really only like to run in tight spandex. Lots of times I'm in Nike Pros or something similar. My favorite shorts of all time were made by City Sports, and they don't make them anymore. Oh, no. Um, But basically, I I prefer to run in shorts, but they have to be um, tight spandex versus more flowy. And then my favorite sports bra, 
I really like the KFT brand sports bras, and I like them because they're they're made for CrossFit athletes, so they have more room in kind of your lat area, and I, I can't run long distance when my sports bra is super tight. <laughs> and you've got some strong lats. <laughs> yeah, and because of the strength training, like I, I really should wear a size small, anything but because I do have that strength perspective lots of times things feel just a little bit too snug and for short distance it's it's okay but for long distance it starts to get really uncomfortable about the strength stuff though were you a gymnast yes. growing up I was a gymnast growing up so I do have some of that that kind of build and core strength mm-hmm. already in my favor so um and, and that just kind of never goes away. And yeah. while it, like the flexibility part of it went away, but that, that core strength just never kind of left. <laughs> so could you like go run and do like a, you know, a big tumbling pass if you wanted to? Um, no, so <laughs> I did, I did that a couple of years ago and I decided that I would never try to do that again. Um, may, mainly not from like the ability, ability to do it is I just don't have that flexibility mm-hmm. anymore so it's not exactly the most comfortable thing. <laughs> no need to like uh get an injury because you wanted to try tumbling past yeah it would just it would just I mean it would be I guess a good story to tell but it's just kind of silly I was like okay I guess I can't move like that anymore <laughs> what about like a back handspring or just like a standing back tuck I can still do a back handspring my shoulder mobility is really limited um so if I worked on mobility, I would say that I could do it a lot easier than than it than it actually proves to be right now. <laughs> I um I was not a good gymnast growing up, but I I did yeah. gymnastics and cheerleading and whatnot. And yeah, after my first son, I remember I could still like rock a back handspring. And now mm-hmm. I'm like, oh gosh, it's probably so. Now it's probably been four or five years since I've done one, and I'm like. No way, no how. Like, I feel like I would break my arms and my neck. Yeah, so I think at some point, too, it, like, the level of fear of doing this, like, became present. And I was I was obviously never scared of any of these things uh-huh. as a gymnast. And now, like, it crosses your mind, like, what might happen uh-huh. if, if I do this wrong? <laughs> and that might come from, you know, my coaching perspective of competitive gymnastics, too. But... I think just my awareness of like knowing where I'm at and then trying to do it now, I like kind of scare myself out of it as well. Totally. Um, Okay. What's one thing you'd like to do professionally or personally that you haven't done yet? Sure. Um, One of the big things on my list is that I do plan to open my own studio and training facility. Um, I kind of have like the exact blueprint already written out of what I want this to look like. Um, so that from a, from a professional standpoint, that's like the biggest thing on the list, um, from more of a personal standpoint, I think, you know, one of the biggest goals is, is finding a better balance between all of the trail running, ultra running and like balancing real life in there. Um, I think at times it's, it's a really uneven balance, but there are some big races that I'm definitely going to pursue in the upcoming years and, that will require, you know, 2018 to really look at, you know, races that are more of your Western States qualifiers and hard rock qualifiers and kind of get to that point where I'm there. But that that requires that 
ability to kind of embrace imbalance for a while and then get to the place of balance once I do some of these things. Yeah, because you mentioned, I don't know if it was in your email or an Instagram post that you wanted to, and maybe it was about, you know, moving into more of like the lifestyle blogging is like mm-hmm. running is not the only thing. And, and it truly, truthfully is not, um, but it does consume a lot of our time and it is a lot of my social networking too, but it's definitely not everything that goes on and we all have families and we spend time with our families and there are other things that we need to do, but I would say like there are even points in time like where we may not necessarily be going on vacation because we're spending the money to go on mm-hmm. a race and it's like, okay, you got to pick and choose here or like just the time to go across the country to go to this race or go, you know, somewhere. It's just that hard balance. And I think it's definitely important that we all know that we're all balancing those things, even though we only see one small component of it. Now we might've covered this, but maybe not. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Um, well, 100 miles is definitely a big accomplishment. Um, but I don't know that it's necessarily my biggest accomplishment. And I think just for different reasons, but I would even say this year I coached girls on the run. And of course our 5k for the end of the year was one week (laughs) after the hundred mile race. Um, and I was supposed to run with some of our fast little kids, (laughs) um, really fast little kids. And I just knew that I had to wrap my head around it before I got there because I was not recovered a week after running 100 miles. And um, But I ran that with them because it was it was not for me. It was for them. And I would say, like, those achievements kind of stand out in my mind, sometimes even more than my own achievements. Like, I just, there's finish lines that are memorable for different reasons, and that's definitely one of them. And are you the head coach for the, your team? I am the head coach for the Girls on the Run team here. And what's the time commitment with that? So each week we have practice two times a week, and those practices are an hour and a half. So you have about three hours of practice time. And then I would say I have about another um, between two to three hours of kind of preparation time, fielding questions and, and talking to parents and kind of following up on things. And then you just have a 5k at the end of the year. So it it's about, you know, I would say between four and five hours a week. How long have you been doing it? I started the program in my town when I moved to Maine. So this was our second year of completing it. We got it off the ground, um, which was not exactly easy because I didn't have anyone in the school system. So I just had to kind of introduce myself mm-hmm. to the area and say what the program was and why I wanted to do it. And it has been a huge hit for our girls. Um, there's not a lot of activities. We live in a very small town in Maine. So it's been a really great space for them to be. Well, and that's what's so great about Girls on the Run and organizations like that is they let someone like you spearhead it, use their model in your, you know, affiliation of yes. the program, but, like, you can you can do it. Yes, absolutely, and, and it works anywhere, and the program has grown tremendously, you know, from even statewide to nationwide, and it's just kind of amazing that so many kids are kind of following the same philosophy and... I think the important part is to remember that 
while we run in Girls on the Run, really you're learning much more about confidence and self-esteem and really values that we should be taking with us in our adulthood, too. That's good. If you had one message to send to the world, what would it be? Which is probably my go-to for all things, and that's you can do hard things. Um, somebody said that to me during my first ultra, and it's just kind of stuck with me ever since. Um, and, and it applies to much more than just running. And just the other day, I was running with one of the girls on the run participants that actually happens to be a neighbor of mine. And her mom had said, I've been using that every day with my kids to remind them that they can do hard things, and, you know, and anything they can do, whether it was, you know, practicing some reading for school or going out to do a run or something else. And I think it's stuck with me, but it's also resonating with a lot of other people. And it's a good reminder when, you know, things get hard, we can keep going, we can keep doing them. It is good. I, I say that a lot when my kids are, when I'm having a rough day with my kids. I'm like, okay, everybody's going crazy and crawling on top of me. And I'm like, Lindsay, you can do hard things. You can do hard things. <laughs> yeah, and it's so true. And sometimes it just takes that, like, little reminder to yourself. Yes. Like, okay, it's never going to be perfect. Like, embrace, like, the chaos that's happening right now. And, and you can do it. <laughs> well, and I verbally say it, too. Like, I will, like, yeah. I'm, I'm, like, solo with the kids you know um you know during the week when the hus my husband's at work and I'm just yeah. like okay when things get crazy I will like say it out loud and like give myself a little pep talk and I, I think it's funny that you said that you say it out loud because it's way different for me anyways if I say it out loud to myself mm -hmm. than if I, like, I just think it in my head um whether it is in running or it's every day I've learned to like speak it out loud because then you actually like hear your own words and you start to listen. Yeah. I mean, I, I will do it. At, well, A, I'll do it in workouts too, but B, yep. like I'll do it at Target with my kids and someone's throwing it <laughs> I'm like, okay, like you're going to, it's like, it's like finishing a race. I'm like, you're going to get out yep. of Target and into the car. Like it's going to happen yeah. and we can do yep. this because we have to. Yep. Yep. And it's, and that's definitely harder than finishing the race. Yeah. <laughs> So what are you loving right now? Any kind of fun gadgets or apparel or drinks? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I really love that I just was introduced to are bed bars. And they are a local company out of Maine. Um, I, I just love the taste, the consistency. And they're a really clean bar. Um, and... Another thing that I really love right now are Topo Athletic shoes, and they're definitely making way into the market, but I was a really hard sell on a new shoe. I wear the same style of shoe for five years before I agreed to switch, and I've, I just I have no complaints. I mean, they've got me through all of my training and all of my long races and my, I've never had a blister, knock on wood. Um, I don't know how, I'm just, I guess I'm just really lucky. Um, but otherwise those, those would be like my top products right now. Topo, like T-O-P-O? -O? Yes, T-O-P-O. -O. Okay, I've never heard of that. Um, what's the best, most recent book you've read? The most recent book I read, well, I'm currently in the middle of the endurance diet and every time I say I'm going to finish these books you know life happens and mm -hmm. I haven't finished but I really really like this book because it's 
breaks down nutrition so that it's a little bit more manageable to understand and talks a lot about the quality of calories versus like, okay, 2000 calories can look like this or 2000 calories can look like this and where are they coming from? Um, and much more of the concept of what your diet looks like versus dieting. And, and then I read a lot of kind of more of your inspirational reads. Uh, one of my favorites is 50 ways to yay by Alexi Panos. It's a super easy read with kind of short anecdotes and, fun quotes, but it's, it's a good reminder of kind of that positive perspective and outlook on life. Good. I like that. Do you guys watch any TV? Do you watch any shows? I barely ever watch TV. Um, but recently I have been, I keep watching, um, Joanna Gaines and their fixer upper houses, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, but I never like make it through the full show. So like, I'll like watch a part of it like one night and then like a couple nights later I'll go back to it. Um, but most of the time, the TV doesn't go on. And, like, by the time I do turn the TV on, maybe it's, like, 10 o'clock at night. And that's basically past my bedtime at that point. Oh, yeah. If I've made it to 10 and the TV hasn't come on, it's not coming on. That's bedtime for sure. Y yeah. Uh, with getting up early, and I'm much more of a morning person, that the TV, like, usually goes on for, like, five minutes. And I'm like, okay, it's time for bed. <laughs> so... What I'm assuming girls on the run is one, but what are some not favorite nonprofits you like to support? That would be the top one. Yeah. Um, just because I, I believe in the big picture of, of that vision and, you know, teaching girls at a young age, some of these techniques to, and to kind of build confidence or support self-esteem or even just being supportive of each other versus causing, you know, constant conflicts or, or being able to express feelings, I think that's just so important and valuable that we don't always see that in everything that we do. And I know in in our town, it it's been a tremendous help that many kids may not have the best structure or home life, and, and it's been a, an outlet for them to kind of express themselves or really to kind of build that self-esteem or confidence that they're really lacking. Yeah, it's good. Who are your top three favorite people to follow on social media? Um, so I follow a lot of different people on social media, but I kind of especially enjoy even some of those people that, you know, people might not know. Um, one of them is Morgan Tilton, who goes by Mo Tilton on Instagram, and she is an adventure journalist. Uh, she also has become a good friend of mine through through the world of social media is actually what connected us. Um, but her Instagram account is a way for her to kind of take her writing and put it in a shorter antidote in small scale. So um, along with like incredible photography from around the world, she's got some really powerful words. Um, then another kind of a trail runner that's great um tara runs trails and just seeing her adventure out west and there's probably a lot of runners from out west that i follow and in envy of their trail <laughs> running destinations um that you kind of just you know just pretend that's what your trail looks like but and not that we don't have beautiful trails and lastly um from a kind of a lifestyle perspective, another account I really love is Liza Leary. And it's just, it's 
in the making right now, but it's uh, an account that's really showing a lot of vision and heart and female empowerment and kind of that collaboration or connection versus competition mentality that Mm -hmm. is kind of out there today. What is hers? Liza? Liza Lear. L-I-Z-A-L-E-A-R-Y. Okay, I got it. Yeah. And she is a photographer, so her captures are usually pretty amazing, too. Um, So I just like the different stages, right? There's on social media, we have people that are just new to the scene and we have people that, you know, everybody knows or, Mm -hmm. you know, for different reasons. And I think there's just so many great accounts sharing great content and information. It's always fun to see who's out there. Well, it's crazy too, because I'm looking at her account and you're right. Like she's got only what, like 20 some posts or something. Mm -hmm. If that, but I'm like, okay, this is like a professionally done Instagram page. Like everything's very thoughtfully done and and pretty. Yeah. And that's, I mean, part of that is because she is a photographer. That is her job. So it's one, it's like a way to show what I can do, but like she's just able to capture like Mm -hmm. a better iPhone photo than the rest of us have no idea like what we're doing other than taking a photo right and so much of it too I've noticed with Instagram is like it's such a storytelling place you Mm -hmm. know like instead of just posting a pretty picture if you have a story to go with that picture that's what makes it interesting to follow you Mm -hmm. and I think you know I get asked that question a lot like how did your following Mm -hmm. increase and I I always say you have to be really good at telling a story. Like, that's the number one thing. I mean, you could have the best picture in the world, and if you're not really telling a story, there's a lot of pictures on Instagram. So people are looking for something that's, you know, relatable in real life and something they can connect to, and you can't always connect through the picture, but you can connect through the words. Well, it's interesting. I just started, um, oh, I I heard, do you know who Alison Faulkner is? No. So she's got like a nine, like a ton of followers on Instagram. And I, yes. just, I just found out about her from a podcast I heard her on. So I was like, oh, I'm going to go check her out and see what her Instagram's all about. And she's really got this like thing mastered, you know, like it's her business. And yep. um, it's funny though, because I was listening to a podcast episode of hers. She has her own podcast as well, because who doesn't have a podcast these days? And right. I was listening to her this morning and... Um, she kind of does like branding and marketing and, and talks to people about that kind of stuff, how to build your brand. And she was like, nobody cares about your kids. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I think that's so funny. Um, but I think with someone like me, I post like 50% kids stuff, 50% like my running adventures and family. But man, when yeah. I post a real life parenting moment on my Instagram where I'm just like being vulnerable and putting it out there, like it resonates with people and it's, you know, like, People are like, yes, I've been there, you know, and it's a story. And I think it it depends too, right? Like who you're following is like, if you're just posting to post, then, then maybe there's no reason. But when there's a story and someone's like, I've been there too, or I totally get it. Like that picture of whatever it is suddenly makes sense. Yeah. And she, and her, and I'm like so intrigued by her Instagram account as of like a week ago, but it's funny she says stuff like that to her clients because though she has, what does she have? She has 103,000 followers. She has lots of kid pictures too, you know? So she's mm-hmm. figured out this way to like balance her like dance videos and her kid pictures and her fashion and her branding. And it's really fascinating to see someone take it to that level. Yeah. And that's, I guess that's kind of the stage that I'm at is that 
at some point this shifts more into while it's still your personal account, there's demand and need for something more. Mm-hmm. Um, and how how are you going to be able to share that more without really running it a little bit strategically like a business? Totally. Um, and and it, it's definitely time consuming. I can say that for sure. But it's also brought some really amazing connections. And it's kind of our opportunity to like have these great resources right here without having to be, you know, in the same vicinity as some of these people. Yeah, man, can you imagine life in 2000, like 2000, 2000, like, this is a completely different world. It's so, it's, it's crazy, even like in the last, you know, two or three years, how much it's changed. I mean, I even think about it, like, it, it's really the primary way to market anything at this mm-hmm. point in time. Mm-hmm. Like, marketing budgets of big companies use social media to get their messaging and branding out. Yeah, man, it's so crazy. Well, Crystal, I know you are a busy lady, and you just got back from your trip, and I appreciate you taking your time to talk to me today. Thank you so much for having me, and it was it was perfect. And I've been watching, you know, your Instagram with your, your rec bag and all your workouts and your ultra adventures, and um, kind of been eyeing to get you on. So when actually our friend Sarah, which... I wanted to give her a shout out for connecting us. Yes. Um, she emailed me a couple ideas for people. And anytime someone emails me an idea for someone and then they actually like know the person and can connect me with the person, I'm like, bonus points for you. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was, it's great. And I'm, I'm excited to share this episode with everybody who wants to listen. Yeah. And Sarah was, she was so funny when she reached out and I, I don't know if she expected me not to know what she was talking about. But I was like, oh, I totally know exactly what you're talking about the second you said this, and I would love to be part of this. Oh, well, thank you. That means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye, Crystal. Bye. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to the show today. Thank you, Crystal, for coming on the show. You guys can find everything we talked about in the show notes, lindsayhine.com. Head over there and make me feel like those show notes were worth typing up because they kind of take a long time to do it. lindsayhine.com. There's lots of good information there, lots of good book recommendations and things like that. Also, tickets to the live show are there. Also, you can check out our partners for the show over there, Kind Snacks and Casper Mattress. All right, everybody, you guys have a wonderful day. And as always, I will see you next Friday.